everyone. This is Michelle Gale. I'm so grateful you're here. And before we get started, I just wanted to share with you that I'll be launching my first ever free online conference called Mindful Parenting in a Messy World from September 18th to the 20th. We're going to have 15 speaker interviews, some of which include Rick Hansen, Susan Kaiser Greenland, Dr. Shafali Sabari. You can register at conference.michellegale forward slash podcast. Make sure to register here because I'll be sending my podcast listeners a free bonus webinar titled Big Emotions and What to Do with Them. You can also find that link in the podcast notes. And I'm also offering a four-week online course in October called Mindful Parenting, the Foundations of Practice. It'll be a weekly course focused on mindfulness of the breath, body, emotions, and thoughts. We'll have a private Facebook group and weekly practices and it'll be recorded each time so you can watch whenever it works for you. I'd love to have you join me. You can go to my website, beamindfulparent.com for more information or just sign up to my weekly email list and you'll stay up to date on all the ways we can grow together as a community and you will also receive my weekly musings. (laughs) Enjoy the podcast. Thanks for being here. Welcome everyone. My name is Michelle Gale. I'm your host and I am here today with the one and only beloved Dan Siegel. Welcome, Dan. Hi, Michelle. How are you? Good. It's so good to have you. And um, I don't think you need much of a introduction, um, but Dan is the author of some incredible books, including a book called Mindsight. And for all of you, um, you parents out there, Dan, what are the, you have two books for parents, right? Uh, five books for parents. Five? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Can you name them for us? I can try. Um, Parenting from the Inside Out with Mary Hartzell. Yeah. Uh, the Whole Brain Child, No Drama Bliss, Discipline, and Yes Brain with Tina Payne Bryson. Yeah. Brainstorm uh, by just me. Uh, and then we have a new book coming up, which we're debating on the title, but we're wrestling with a title called Showing Up. Oh, I can't wait for that one. We just finished it uh, yesterday. So. Wow. Well, thank you for all of all of everything that you give to the world. It's just such a blessing. We're so lucky to have you out there traveling the world. I mean, you travel all year long, spreading these lessons and learnings, and we're all very lucky. Well, thank you. Thank you. We're lucky to have you too. Yeah. Thank you. Lots of parts of ourselves to get the word out there about being nice and good and kind to the world and to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, today we're here to talk about Dan's latest book, which I love. It's called Aware, the Science of pra- the Science and Practice of Presence. Yes. And I would love for you, Dan, to start, just start by sharing like, why this book now? You've written so many books. You have such a large body of work. What was it about this book, Aware? A couple of things, Michelle. I mean, one is that um, I had developed this reflective practice years ago that my patients really responded to. Mm. And then through working with a lot of patients with it, I decided to teach it to my students who were therapists. They started using it with themselves and their clients. They started getting better. And then I did it in workshops and people really responded to it. And um, so basically, it seemed like a natural next step after I had done it with 10,000 people systematically and recorded the results and sort of analyzed those results and thought about what's the science of what these 10,000 people 
in the workshops and the ones who took the microphone and shared their deep experiences, what those experiences really might be reflecting. I put that together and actually my publisher came to one of those workshops and she saw how people were transformed by the practice called the Wheel of Awareness. Yeah. She said, you really need to turn this into a book. She was my publisher for Brainstorm and Parenting from the Inside Out. Yeah. So I said, all right, let's do it. And um, that's where the, the book came from. And, you know, it's a very practical guide. So that's really exciting to write, it, you know, in a new way like that, a very, yeah. in a very practical way. Um, and then it goes into the deep, not just practice, but the deep um, exploration of five people who use the wheel and what happened to them. And then an exploration of the science of the mind and the science of awareness that takes you in this really uh, kind of exciting space for us to have a conversation about, not just you and me and everyone listening, but yeah. actually humanity. So. Um, it's, I mean, I, I, I'm always excited, you know, when you have a conversation with people and a book is just like a relational thing to me. It's like a way of connecting to people. But, um, this book I'm incredibly excited about because the place the conversation can go can have really important impacts on, on an individual's well-being, but then also our collective well-being on the planet. So I'm, I'm really thrilled uh, to like be a part of these conversations that are just yeah. starting now that the book is available. Yeah. And it's, it's really, it's also a little mind blowing because it takes you to this place that's um, really um, not only useful, but really, really fascinating, you know? So anyway, so mm. that's why I wrote the book. What, um, speaking of fascinating, what, as far as the science goes from what you've uncovered in this book and, you know, what's coming out in the greater scientific world, what has you most excited or fascinated or interested right now? I would say it's what's in aware. You know, I think there's a moment in an individual's life to work with awareness and to do something that sounds strange, but it's very practical actually to integrate consciousness. So integration creates well-being and consciousness is needed for change. And when you put those two together, you get this wheel of awareness where you differentiate elements of consciousness and link them. Mm. And so I'm really excited because it, number one, has the elements of the three aspects of mind training that create all sorts of positive molecular changes in your body. I mean, literally lowers cortisol, the stress hormone, improves your cardiovascular system in terms of like lowering cholesterol and also you know lowering your blood pressure it helps you improve your immune system functioning it it changes a molecule that sits on top of your genes to to reduce inflammation and epigenetic regulator and it even elevates and optimizes an enzyme called telomerase that repairs and maintains your chromosomes and as Alyssa Eppel uh, was advising me to put in the book before it went to the printer, where she read the book, um, it slows the aging process. And she's along with Elizabeth Blackburn, the Nobel Prize winner, one of the world's leading experts on aging. So this practice, the Wheel of Awareness, has the three research established components of training focused attention, that's one, open awareness, that's two, and kind intentions, what I call loving kindness or yeah. passion. 
number three. And when you train those three things and the wheel has all of them in one practice, you get these positive molecular changes in addition to growing a more integrated brain where the different areas are linked. So you have a more nimble and resilient brain. It's more regulated. So all that stuff is for your individual well-being. But then when you look into the science of awareness, it takes us to a very different space when we think about cultural evolution and the integration of consciousness that we can talk about. So that's just like, why would a reader want to read it for their own health? Well, yeah. here are the research established reasons to do it. So that's, that's great. And then there's a secondary um, or a second one just in the list uh, impact on our sense of who we are and how we belong to one another and our sense of really a purpose of being of service to yeah. a larger identity than just these skin encased bodies, which will get healthier, but yeah. we'll also get healthier because we start living with more purpose and connection. Yeah. So that has a kind of scientific grounding we can talk about that is just kind of fascinating you know so, so i'm i'm really you know because part of me is an educator and i'm a clinician and i really want us to think deeply about human evolution and another part of me is a scientist and i'd love to explore mm. the scientific base of reality and what's so interesting is right before the book came out uh the scientific american cover story was about physics looking at two realms of reality that when I had been lecturing about it for the wheel, people thought I was just like making it up. And, and you, know, you had to read these deep physics articles or philosophy articles. And then it was the cover story of Scientific American about physics. Wow. The, the wheel helps you actually explore these two realms, kind of like swimming if you're doing the breaststroke and you're swimming underwater. That's one underwater realm. Then above the water, you're in the air. And the wheel helps you kind of go to both. Yeah. And I think people experiencing it used to think it was like weird, but, but it's a really fun practice where you can dip in and out of these two realms of reality. We can talk about all this, but anyway, so I'm really excited about all that. I, uh, I've got other projects I'm, I need to do, which I'm like, I'm revising to the third edition, the developing mind, the first textbook I wrote. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to think about how to weave this in without making the book um, too long because, mm -hmm. you know, it takes a whole book like aware to explain it. Yes. And the wheel of awareness, um, other than reading the book, and um, we have a lot of parents listening. So I would love for you to share any ways they can experience the wheel of awareness. I and mean, obviously they can come and work with you in Southern California, if that was a possibility for people. But on your website, um, are there places people can go so they can have the experience of this that they read in the book? Sure. I mean, for parents, and one of the five examples is a mom mm -hmm. who, you know, you, you see in depth what the wheel did for her parenting. Yeah. Um, uh, but in, in general, you know, people can absolutely go to my website and do the wheel. The, the thing to, to link the wheel of awareness and the book aware to all these other books about relationships and parent-child relationships yeah. is the word presence. So that if you had to summarize, you know, I'm an attachment researcher. If you had to summarize what attachment research tells us about parent-child relationships that optimize a child's chances of really doing well, and, and what do we mean by doing well? Knowing themselves, connecting with others in meaningful and mutually rewarding ways, regulating their emotions, having the capacity to deal with stress so you 
have what you can call resilience. If you want any of those things for your kid, the research is really clear. Develop presence. Yes. Right now, presence has a, a simple definition, which is a receptive awareness. Mm. Right. And part of that receptive awareness means you can go to your past and say, how do I see how my past in my childhood influenced my development? And so that's the book, Parenting from the Inside Out, walks you through how to reflect on your past, understand the nature of memory, the nature of narrative, the nature of connection, and how those things are all intertwined so that sometimes we get stuck in a kind of rigid narrative or a confused one, and we're not present. And that's about 35 to almost 45% of the population has that history. Yeah. Sometimes it involves trauma, sometimes not. Um, and so presence is compromised with insecure attachment histories that haven't been made sense of. So the great news about the Parenting from the Inside Out approach is it teaches you how to develop what's called a coherent life story. So that's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. What AWARE does is it says, as you're doing that, how do you actually really develop receptive awareness, this presence that not only is about the past, but allows you to be in the moment with your inner experience and your inter-experience, the experience you have reflecting on anything going on inside your body and anything going on connecting you to other people like your child. Yeah. And so presence is our main priority as parents, even though we may not have named it before. And the good news is you have, as a parent, ways to develop that. So, um, uh, you know, that's the one thing you just need to remember that one word, you know, it's like the, the movie in The Graduate, you know, with The Graduate, and when he says, what's the future? He goes, plastics, you know. <laughs> but in this case, it's a respect idea. It's presence. presence. <laughs> you know, kind presence, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking of, um, you know, how technology right now is pulling our presence away. And particularly as parents, you know, I often will, you know, be walking in town and, and you know, babies are still kind of facing their mamas, you know, in their um, seats and the moms are on, on, on the phone or the dad is on the phone and there's this um, separation, um, rather than this constant, I remember when I was walking my kids when they were really young, I was always looking at them. And I wonder how that's going to affect. I mean, I, I wonder how attachment is going to be affected by this interruption of technology. Is that something that you worry about or that you hear about? I worry about it and I hear about it all the time. And let's just look at the basic concepts underneath the thing you're saying. Yeah. I would say that your kids are lucky they have you looking at them a lot, you know, yeah. because, um, and just to rewind a little bit in terms of development, we are incredibly social creatures. And that social nature of who we are begins when we became mammals 200 million years ago. Mm -hmm. So that's a long time. Yeah. And as primates, we had very you know, uh, elaborated social connections in, in our family systems. Then as human primates, we have something very interesting called alloparenting. And allo means other and parenting mm -hmm. versus a caregiver for a, a young child. Yeah. 
And alloparenting, which Sarah Hurdy, H-R-D-Y, writes beautifully about in a book called Mothers and Others, is basically an unusual mammal quality where we give our infant to a few selective others, that's the allo of other, that aren't the father, you know, if it's the mom, it's not just the father, it's not even the grandparents, it's a member of our community, our village. Mm -hmm. So we have to, to, to um, make that work out okay, because this is our most prized possession, right, our baby. Yeah. Have to look, I have to look at you, Michelle. If I'm, if I'm about to give you my baby, I have to say, where's your attention? Where's your awareness? What are your intentions? And if I can read your face and read your cues and read your nonverbal communication, not just what you say, but how you're being, yeah. right? then I will take those nonverbal cues. I'll make a map in my mind of your mind of your intention, mm. your attention, your awareness. And I'll say, I think I can trust you. I know you. I believe this baby that is my most precious experience in life. I don't want to say possession. Yeah. But it's my mo most precious part of my life. I'm handing this baby to you and I'm going to go work in the village or I'm going to go mm. you know, work in the field or I'm going to go hunting or whatever I'm going to do. And now I come back hours later and my baby's fine. And I realized the map I had of your mind, Michelle, was accurate. Mm -hmm. and, and what we think likely happened is that when alloparenting became a part of our life as a social creature, as a mammal, who was also a primate, mm -hmm. as a human, this unique capacity to share child rearing meant we had to develop the capacity to have what's called theory of mind or mentalization or knowing the mind of another and one of the theories is, is that the way you and I first developed this mind sight capacity, the ability to see the mind, was to know another mind, that's empathy. Mm. And then after that, we evolved the capacity to use similar circuitry to know our own mind. Okay. So, so the, what the implication of that for development is, if technology is taking away parents' Knowing the mind, the inner life, the feelings, the meanings, the thoughts, the perceptions of a child. That's what we mean by mind. We're not comparing mind to emotion whatsoever. Emotion is a part of mind the way we're using it here. Then if we're losing that, then not only does a child lose the connection and feeling the safety and the soothing and the way of being seen. Mm -hmm. So security of attachment needs those three S's. And so that's going to be compromised but also the way they come to know themselves will be limited because you first learn about yourself through the gaze of the other, of the mother and other caregivers. So that's going to be compromised. And then when I try to engage in conversations when I'm a teenager, it'll be very thin. Mm. So I might get on social media or something like that and put up photographs of what I want people to think I look like. And it's all about appearances, superficial appearances. And then all of my peers start believing the superficiality of the impression of the great life and this and that. And you see this huge depression increase, anxiety increase, and even suicide increase among our adolescents. And part of it, I think, is that there's this cascade of thinness in an inner life that's reflected not just in this difficulty of people knowing what's going on inside themselves, but even engaging in conversations that are meaningful and connecting with others. 
And so when you get social media on top of that, mm. with an impression of the great life, people feel absolutely that they're inadequate, that they're missing out, that something's wrong. And there is something wrong, but it's not wrong with them. It's wrong with our culture and the way we're allowing this to continue on and on and on. So yes, I think about it, I worry about it. And you know, what you wanna do, let's first of all, turn off my alarm. Um, so you don't get alarmed like that. <laughs> um, and uh, it says, hey, shut off your phone. That's a good thing. Right? A good idea. <laughs> I thought I'd be sleeping a lot more. <laughs> I know. I'm to get up for Michelle. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Here's what my cup says. I have those cups too. I have one that says sip, family, and calm. We have the same cups, Dan. Yay. That's <laughs> so good. I forgot what my other one says. Laugh at this one, yeah. Yeah. So good. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. So it's just highlighting this need that you were talking about earlier to attend to and to get to know our inner world, the inner world that we're, that we're inhabiting right now, and also the world that we inhabited when we were younger, where things weren't complete, right? Where we have healing to do. So to be able to really spend time inhabiting all of that so that we can be present with ourselves. And when we're present with ourselves, we can be present with our children. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's fun about the wheel of awareness for parents yeah. is if you get to do it, um, go to the website, drdansiegel.com and go to the resource and stuff. When you do it, you have this visual image of the hub is where awareness is. Yeah. And the rim is simply all the things you can be aware of. Which is open awareness, right? So the, the uh, remind me, the hub is the like kind of focused attention. No, the no the focused attention is the spoke. Is the spoke okay? So the hub. Say, describe it one more one time for me. Well, so consciousness can be simply defined as the subjective experience of knowing, okay. and it also includes the knowns. So the way to integrate consciousness is you distinguish or differentiate the knowing. Let's put that in the hub. Okay. So if I say, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dan. <laughs> you know I said good morning? I did. Okay, so there's two things happening there. There's the knowing, which is called awareness. Okay. And there's the known, which is good morning, Michelle. Okay. You see? So we're just going to separate those visually out. We're going to put the knowing in the hub, the knowns on the rim. So think okay. about it this way. You know, sometimes people, and I started the book this way, sometimes people think of consciousness like a cup of water, you know? Mm -hmm. Think of it the size, not this big, but like the size of an espresso cup. And then life dishes out, you know, your kid is upset or something didn't go the way you wanted to in your family or whatever. Life dishes out a tablespoon of salt. If your container of that hub is the size of an espresso cup and you dump a tablespoon of salt into that amount of water, what does it taste like? Salt. Salt, oh, too salty, you can't drink it. It's too yes. salty. Mm -hmm. But what if we expanded your mm -hmm. container of the hub so that it was like over 100 gallons of water? Mm -hmm. Now life dishes out to you the same tablespoon of salt, only you've been cultivating presence. So you've expanded your espresso-sized cup of into a 100-gallon container. We put the tablespoon of salt in the 100-gallon tank, mix it up, and now you sip from the water. What does it taste like? It's water. Just water, exactly. Yeah. So the wheel of awareness is a practice that expands the hub of awareness. 
And the whole book is about doing that. And for a parent, what that means is presence happens. We're defining presence as receptive awareness. So instead of getting flooded by the salt that completely overwhelms the water of awareness, you've now expanded how much water you've got. So your, your tank of water, basically, your container of awareness, stays receptive. It's clear mm. to the taste. Mm. That's what presence is all about. Okay, so so giving an example, which I think is always really helpful. Let's say I am, um, you know, my eldest comes home from school and um, he's in a grumpy mood. And, um, you know, I ask him a question at some point, you know, an hour later, and he just kind of growls or snaps. Um, talk me through it in that moment. Like, what do I do? What, what's going on from the, from the wheel of awareness? What is my practice right then? Right. So let's assume for a moment you have been practicing the wheel, and then we'll do an example where you haven't been. Let's okay. say you have been practicing the wheel. What this yeah. means is that your son, your son comes home, he's grumpy, he's telling you, this is bad, that's bad, you did this, that was stupid, and why didn't you do that? All right, so you very understandably will have one aspect of your rim that says, my God, it was such a peaceful day, he's ruining my day, this is terrible, what a spoiled brat, this is no good, this is horrible. And those points on the rim, because you've been doing the wheel, are just points on a rim. So within the spaciousness of your expanded hub, in the center of this wheel, you take in those commentaries that are coming from your discursive mind, Mm -hmm. and you say, hello, discursive mind, meaning a mindful of thoughts, and I see them, but you don't react to them. There's now a pause between an impulse that say, you spoiled Brad, shut up, blah, blah, blah. There's a pause between impulse and action that the hub creates. Mm-hmm. You now activate from the hub other elements on the rim, like he must have had a really bad day. Yeah. And I can see that I don't really like my day ruined by his day being ruined. So, of course, part of me is frustrated. But another part of me, other aspects of my rim, see, wow, something really must have happened. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard Michelle and Dan talk about presence. Presence is this open, spacious hub. So let me sit in the tranquility of my hub right in this very moment, especially now that I have these activated rim points from what he's saying, drop into my hub. So I picture the wheel. I drop into my hub. I feel the clarity, the tranquility, the love that comes from the hub. And then I see what are the other points on my rim that might be my responses that I give to him. And I see, oh, yeah, it must have been a hard day. I become empathic instead of reactive. So I remain receptive. Instead of going to fight mode or fleeing or freezing or fainting, mm-hmm. these four Fs of reactivity, I actually stay within what you know I call a window of tolerance. So now in that receptive state, I pick other rim elements, like I should ask him, wow, sweetie, that was a hard day today, and maybe give him a hug. I should connect before I redirect. Mm-hmm. I should try to teach him something when he's in a low road state, he's really upset. He's venting with me because I'm his mom because he has secure attachment with me. So I stay in this receptive hub with all, I'm a human, so I have all these rim points that come, of course I'm saying it's stupid. Blah, blah, blah. And there's emotions obviously coming up and yeah. our own emotions. But you don't become reactive because you stay integrated basically. Integrated means I can see from my receptive awareness all these different reactions in me. I'm not like, I mean, people have this illusion like, you know, 
that you're supposed to be like this idealized Buddha-like creature. But being a human being means you have lots of emotions. And believe me, since I hang out with people who project onto them that that's a Buddha and they're, I'm alone with them, people are human. Yeah. People are human. And when they're alone with people they trust, they tell you what they're feeling. Yeah. You know? And it's just this false front that people project that you're supposed to have like no reaction. No, you, you have inner experiences. With the wheel practice, you're able to be fully human and fully present. So mm -hmm. you can then say, what's going to be the most useful moment? Is going to help me to be giving those rim points to my son? No, not at all. No. I might tell my spouse that later, but right now, or my friend, but right now the best thing in this interaction is to stay present, connect before I redirect, and use this as a moment of deepening my connection with my son, understanding mm -hmm. what happened to him. Yeah. Present. Then what that does is instead of becoming, becoming reactive like him, I've stayed receptive. It makes it much more, more likely that his physiology will become receptive rather than reactive. He may start crying as you hug him mm -hmm. and say, you know, I didn't get accepted to the school play. I'm so upset. I thought they would pick me for the main part. They didn't even pick me for the choir. I'm so yeah. like And you give him a hug. You go, yeah, it's really hard, sweetie. Let, tell me more about it. What else happened? And you're totally there for him, mm -hmm. not denying your own humanity of having your own reactivity that you don't engage in. And that gives you choice to change the way you would automatically respond. So instead of being on automatic pilot, presence allows you to have this wide space of the mind mm -hmm. that gives you all sorts of options to be the parent you really want to be without denying the inner emotional initial rim points that are there. And that's why this visual image, and my daughter did all the drawings for it, so it's so fun to have these visual ones. To visually image the mind has been so interesting. Wow. Instead of making it some vague old mind, this mind, that, you actually see it and you say, you need to be in your hub as, you know, I'll give you one example. Billy, a five-year-old, learned the wheel of awareness in a kindergarten class. I talk about it in the book. And, you know, he was kicked out of one school because he beat up a kid on the yard. And then he was transferred to another school. Mrs. Smith, um, in the new school, teaches everybody the wheel of awareness, which you learn in the whole brain child how to do. Yes. She teaches all her yes. kids that. On the second day, something happened, and she emailed me about it, where Billy comes into her during recess. And he says, "Miss Smith, Miss Smith, you know, you got to give me a break. Joey took my blocks. I'm about to beat him up. I'm lost on my rim. I got to get back to my hub. Oh, my gosh. Amazing. Bye. Just as a drawing, just as a drawing. And this happens a lot. We hear things wow. like this. So it's this amazing, when I talk about this amazing moment, it's this amazing moment to clarify that the hub is actually quite different from the rim. Mm. Most people, like a mom, I was teaching her son this, a teenager, in my practice. And after she learned the Wheel of Awareness practice, her face looks really kind of like shocked. And I go, what's going on? She goes, I'm never going to be the same again. I said, what happened? She goes, I always thought I was my thoughts and I was my emotions, but I'm more than that. I go, yeah, your awareness beyond your thought and beyond your emotion that are on the rim, you yeah. are the, the hub also. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, That's this awesome. is just, you know, this is just a fun, you know, thing you can do and just make it really accessible because mm -hmm. it's about what's called pervasive leadership. Meaning everyone is capable of being empowered. Mm. to cultivate the presence that 
leads us into more compassionate, really integrated, meaning honoring differences and promoting linkages, ways of being that really are all about kindness and love. And that's a source of incredible strength for your child to get that from you. That's what presence permits. Yeah. And what do you say to parents that, um, cause I hear this sometimes, well, if I don't respond, I don't react, you know, they'll just walk all over me. You know, they'll just walk all over me. I'll just be passive. I, they'll never learn anything. Um, you know, what is your response to that? Cause I'll, I'll often hear that from parents around mindfulness and awareness and, and these practices. The research is very clear that you don't want to be a permissive parent where it's laissez-faire and anything goes and your kids don't have structure. Parental presence is not about permissiveness. No. Let's be super, super clear about that. It's about mindset. It's about you having your kid come home. He's really upset, as we just described in the example. Yeah. And instead of you becoming reactive also, which an authoritarian parent might do, like, how dare you talk to me like that young man? Get out of here. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, or just, you know, you just go, you go into this permissive state. It's, it's an authoritative stance, yeah. the research we show, to actually stay present and be a role model that teaches your kid, <clears throat> you can allow all sorts of emotions to be expressed, yeah. to be shared, you know, doesn't mean if your kid comes in the house, starts breaking the windows, you let that happen. No. You can find another way. Say, don't break those windows. Here's a pillow. Hit the pillow. Yes. You want to express your emotion, you can do it in a non-destructive way. Yeah. Even if the expression of the emotion is uncomfortable. You know, it's important to express oneself in a, you know, in a way that's constructive. Yeah. So, so parental presence is anything but permissive because it's really where you get your strength. And ultimately you're teaching a skill. Yeah. You're teaching your child how to be receptively aware, that's what presence means, for their own experience. And when they learn that gift that keeps on giving, they then engage in relationships with others and that's the key to emotional and social intelligence. You're giving your child the skill that all the research shows is exactly what they need, need for successful relationships for a successful family life, for a successful workplace life, and for just having resilience in life in general. Yeah. So it's like a win-win-win-win thing all around. Yeah. And you reduce all the tension in the home. So that's what I would say. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, you know, I love – I uh, my son, my youngest son, um, had just – lots of struggles always, you know, a lot of learning differences, you know, the world was a difficult place for him, particularly when he was young and lots of tantrums. And when, after I read the whole brainchild, um, we kind of would strategize like, okay, there's all these emotions. Like, what can we do? Like, what are the things that you think you can do? How can we shift it? You know, your, your brain is, is not integrated right now. And he decided he would jump on the bed. This is when he was really little. Yeah. So we'd go upstairs and he'd be really mad. And you could almost see it softening, even us going up the stairs, but he wanted to play the part. So we'd go up there and he'd jump on the bed and I'd hold his hands and he'd pretend to be so mad and so mad. And then he'd kind of start to smile and, you know, he'd put on this whole show and, you know, within a few minutes he was happy and smiling. And, and this went on for, a long time and it ultimately led to a trampoline in our backyard which is still there and that he's on every day and he just really learned that that movement and that jumping shifted his energy 
Beautiful. That's such a beautiful example, Michelle, because yeah. one way of thinking about what emotion is, is it's a state of mind to evoke motion. Mm. Emotion, evoke motion. And you really gave him a way to allow the emotion yeah. to be expressed, which means to be turned into some kind of motion, whether it's jumping on the bed, jumping on a trampoline, or, you know, turning it into the motion of communication. Yeah. Right? And it's when emotions just sit there and parents say, don't feel that. Yeah. Don't feel like that. You know, that, you know, I'll give you a funny example. I was being interviewed yesterday on the, uh, the, uh, an NPR show, um, and the radio interviewer said the most amazing story. He goes, I know we're going to talk about aware, you know, and I'm really excited about that, but I just have to tell you a story first. I said, okay, what's the story? He goes, um, you know, I had, I, I'm aware of your parenting books. I said, great. He goes, and I had bought one, but I hadn't read it yet. I said, okay, fine. And he goes, and I have two daughters and one of them, you know, I was yelling at her because I was really having a bad day. I was really irritated and I was just yelling at her. And her nine-year-old sister, my older daughter, comes over and says, dad, I have a suggestion for you. And he goes, he stops. He goes, what? He goes, she goes, I have a suggestion for how you can do this a different way. And what do you mean? She goes, I think you should ask my sister about what she's feeling and don't tell her what she should feel. Ask her what she's actually feeling. Wow. He pauses and he goes, where'd you learn that? <laughs> she goes, you got this book yesterday and I was reading through it called The Whole Brain Child. That's an amazing story. <laughs> we have segments in the book, you know, for teaching kids, we have cartoons and stuff like that. It was mind blowing, you know, and this is so funny because of course, as a, as a educator, you, you really want to inspire kids and to have kids have this pervasive leadership. Yes. And as parents, it's also a good reminder and the, the radio host was so beautiful to share this. You know, we always screw up as parents, you know, we mess yeah. up and, you know, being open to feedback and, rup and, and these ruptures can be repaired. So yes. you want to be able to say, yeah, I messed up and even said this on public radio. So it was really quite a beautiful story. But the, the issue there is yeah. empowering emotions to be expressed and to be shared. That's what they're there for. And if mm -hmm. we don't feel comfortable in ourselves because we're not present, then we shut them down on our kids. And the whole thing becomes this kind of incredibly tight, you know, pressure cooker that can explode in all sorts of unhelpful ways, unhelpful ways also. Mm -hmm. uh, and impact our, our health. So, you know, this isn't just like, oh, okay, this is a family that talks about their feelings. The research is very clear. Sharing emotional states with others is really important to do. Mm -hmm. Sharing your inner subjective life, being present to that is really important to do. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful modeling, just making that, I teach often, making that implicit, explicit, you know? Like, yeah. you know, people are like, how do I teach this stuff to my kids? How do I make my kids mindful and aware? Yeah. And usually my response is, you know, don't. <laughs> I mean, we do, of course, we want to support them in learning these practices, and particularly if they're interested. And sometimes they're not interested. Mm -hmm. and, and when they're not, I've found, at least for me and my family, if I'm just regularly sharing my own inner process and the work that I'm doing, like, wow, I'm really angry right now. Like, my jaw is really tight. Like, I have a little bit of a bellyache. Like, 
I'm going to take a little walk around the block or, um, you know, I'm going to sh- do something to, to shift my energy. And I want to be able to be with you in a, you know, in a, in a fuller way than I can be right now. And, you know, just these conversations that we allow that internal dialogue to be shared within the family is like, the best learning sometimes we can give our children, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a way of developing mindset. You know, you're seeing your own mind, you're teaching your kids how to see their mind, how to share yes. insight and empathy, and ultimately promote kindness and compassion, which is this integration part of mindset. And here's the exciting thing. These are things any parent listening to you, listening to us, mm-hmm. can learn to do. This isn't like, you know, well, this is the best way to do it, you can't do it. No, everybody can learn to do this. They're reflective dialogues that you can learn. I mean, all the books I write, you know, I basically teach parents how do you actually engage in conversations and communications with your child yeah. that literally teach them the importance of the mind? Mm. That is subjective experience. You can remember by sifting the mind, you know, what are they sensing, the S of sift, in their body? What images, I, do they have in their mind's eye? What feelings are coming up, their emotions? And what thoughts are they having? So at a minimum, if you say, oh, I can't remember how to do what Michelle and Dan said to do, just remember sifting the mind, sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. And that's your task. Whenever your kid is doing this or that, and it feels like there's rigidity or chaos, something's a little off, it's not integrated in that moment. So then that's an opportunity to say, let's take a pause. Let me be really present in my relationship now, and let me invite a dialogue, a communication, a conversation that sifts the mind, not in an intrusive way. Mm. But you go, sweetie, come here, let's see, let me hug, give you a hug, give him a hug. You know, it's sometimes it's helpful to talk about what you're going, what's going on inside, you know, that whole sift thing we've been doing. So what mm. do you feel in your body? Oh, my chest feels really heavy, my stomach feels really nauseous, or my muscles are tight, and what are images do you have? Oh, I want to punch him, I want to punch him. They didn't take me into the school play. And, yeah, I can understand that. What feelings you have? Oh, I feel really sad. I really thought I'd be with all the other kids in the play and my best friend got accepted and they didn't accept me. And thoughts, you know, I'm no good. I'm really, really no good. Mm. And talking to them about that because that sifting of the mind is an opportunity to realize, especially when you teach your kid the wheel of awareness, those are really important rim points, but there are many others too. There are other skills. There's maybe preparing next time for an audition in a different way. And you find out your kid didn't really prepare at all. And all the other kids spent three weeks memorizing the lines. And your kid mm-hmm. just showed up there because he thought, well, he can just do it like that. No. <laughs> it's the difference between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. If he, yeah. he thinks his attitude, oh, I was rejected from the audition. Yeah. Good. That's mm-hmm. a fixed mindset. The growth mindset is I took the audition. I didn't get accepted. I wonder what the other kids did to prepare mm. learn from. So next time there's an audition, I'm going to grow from this experience. I'm going to try in a different way or try harder and see how it goes. And there are so many examples when you have a growth mindset of how you really take a a challenge that didn't go well. You can call it an unsuccessful effort or you can call it a failure, but be careful that word failure because I'm a failure. But anyway, if an effort didn't go the way you wanted to go, put it that way. You learn from it, you grow from it, but a fixed mindset person says, it's revealing my deficits and it's mm. just 
reaffirming what I secretly believe, which is I'm not good, I'm not talented, I'm not smart, not athletic, whatever it is. Yeah. And so we want to really help people move into, you know, this book we wrote called The Yes Brain, this yes brain state where you tell a kid, you know, yeah, if it was difficult, didn't work out well, use that and everything as an opportunity to be your teacher. Yeah. And how do you grow from it? That's how you role model resilience. You start with the feelings that they're a failure, in their words, but then you try to move them from that fixed mindset stance to a growth mindset. And that's where grit comes from. It's where resilience comes from. It's where really the ability to take on the challenges of life with this larger container of awareness that you do, you know, by the wheel, where it happens. You say, okay, fine. I didn't get accepted. I can't wait for the next time. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you, Dan. We're we're starting to run out of time, but I want to ask you one more question. Sure. This is Um, fun, Michelle. This is so fun. I know I could do this for the next few hours, but I know you have other things to do. (laughs) Um, So you've been all over the world, you know, all over the country, talking to people, learning, doing these practices yourself, certainly, and and evolving and growing yourself. What What do you know for sure right now? What do I know for sure? Yeah. Wow. I think what I know for sure is that if people are empowered to tap into the awareness that is the source of not only growth and connection, but also love and compassion, I think if we can support one another in our human family all around this planet to realize that that spaciousness of love, that spaciousness of being aware is actually an incredible source of strength and not just something to be afraid of. Like I I was teaching in another country at a parliament and when a person bends the spoke of attention around in wheel practice into the hub, he had a certain experience that he didn't want to share with anybody, but at the break he shared it with me that he never felt so much love and connection before in his life. All he was tearing up. Mm. That's really something. He goes, yeah, I've never Mm. felt that way before. So then I said after a pause, you know, so you didn't want to share that with the other members of parliament? Oh, no, 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 no. They would think I was weak if I talked about love. Mm-hmm. And so there was this silence between us. And then I said to him, can I ask you a question? And he said, sure. I said, so I understand you didn't want to appear weak because talking about feeling love, you see as a sign of weakness that you think felt things. He goes, oh, yeah, I wouldn't say it. I said, so let me ask you then, when you're making public decisions on public policy, do you leave love out of the decision-making? Mm. His eyes got really, really big. And his finger came up. He started wagging me. He goes, oh. And then he ran over to his parliament members and they started talking about something, a lot of energy. I don't know what they said. <laughs> but, um, but it made me, in terms of this, what do I know for sure? You know, I've done this practice with 10,000 people and a lot more now, but that was in the research study. Yeah. Um, and there's this amazing overlap of the hub of awareness with love. Mm-hmm. And when you give people a simple practice, like either doing the wheel of awareness, which I do every day as a reflective practice, or for a kid like Billy to just be taught this drawing, five-year-old, yeah. what it releases is a natural 
drive toward what I would call from a science point of view, integration, really honoring differences, promoting linkages. It's what compassion and kindness are all about, is integration made visible. And it's really what love is. So if we can give people, and this is, I guess, what I know for sure after this study, if we can give people the opportunity to get beneath the rim where a lot of people are stuck, yeah. to the hub, the natural outcome will be love and integration. Mm. That is something, if we start doing that as a human family, the direction that we're going on this planet, I think, will be changed. The way we define who we are, not just as a separate me, and not even giving up on me and becoming a we, but you know, this integrated sense of who we are, I think is a we. It's a me and a we makes a we. And I think if we start looking at the self as a we, that comes from this spaciousness of this wide open hub of the wheel. Um, I think there's a huge potential with that kind of transformation of how contemporary culture has defined a separate self. If we can move to the next phase of human cultural evolution as defining the self as a plural verb, this we, yeah. I think there's a huge amount of creative energy, our potential for connection and collaboration that's gonna make our future really, really bright and the life of our children really filled with incredible positive elements that we'll be so proud as we go into the sunset of our lives and our kids start having their kids, mm -hmm. that we took the time to develop this kind of presence to turn humanity around. And it takes one individual at a time, one paired relationship, parent-child relationship, parent-to-parent relationship, it takes one family at a time, one community at a time. But I think we can do it. I think we can do it. Mm -hmm. And together, we can make this happen. Mm. That's what I know for sure. Mm. May it be so. May it be so. Yeah. Thank you, Dan. This is such a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and all of your research and your life's work with us today, at least a little piece of it. My pleasure, Michelle. Great to be with you, and I'll look forward to the next time. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll say goodbye to all of you out there. May you meet this moment fully. May you meet this moment with kindness towards yourself and others. Thanks for listening to Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. Michelle's new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World, Living with Presence and Parenting with Purpose, is now available at Amazon and at mindfulparentingbook.com. Get your copy today. <laughs>